Greetings and salutations from the penthouse to the outhouse. This is travelling across all those time zones, all those wonderful things that happen uh, in Star Trek and uh, all those, you know, ET, all that. We, we can use all the technology and bring to you the rock star from the penthouse, Brian Mannix. What is a salutation, Kev? Uh, a greeting, I guess, is what I've always okay. assumed it is. Greetings and salutations, greetings and welcomings, I suppose. No, it's a high-tech way of saying greetings. Yeah, we, okay. do, we don't do welcome to country on this show. We do welcome to penthouse. It's totally different. Welcome to penthouse. <laughs> totally different. It's yeah, leave, leave your clothes at the door. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, we make the rules up as we go along. What a fa- fabulous, fabulous episode of Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is, we have for you, thanks to our very good friends at Mercots, because... Oh, Mercots. Driving excellence, Kev. Uh, they are, and they will help you uh, achieve that. If you're, if you, if if you go through life with the pursuit of excellence, you'll always be looking to get better. And you should, particularly behind the wheel of your car, please do that as soon as you can for all of us. It just would mean so much. Well, yes, I think you know we can always be a better driver than what we are, and we should. Well, assume let's be honest. Let's cut to the chase. Some people right. couldn't be. Some people couldn't be worse. Really? That's true. Like, that seriously? True. Like, are you kidding me? Um, geez, just you and know. Gen- and, and I think if you've got one of those cars that are green, that idiot green. I think you probably should go to get you know you know you see those those horrible green cars and there's always some hothead in there dropping burnouts and stuff. Yep, lovingly lovingly referred lovingly referred to in uh, in my car when we drive past those as hey look another dickhead mobile. Um, Yes, I call it idiot green. But anyway, (laughs) if you've got a dickhead mobile or idiot green, you should get straight on the phone to Mercots and get some driving excellence, and I reckon that number might be 1300 555 576. One more time, 1300 555 576. Mercots.edu.au, grab a gift certificate off the uh, off the website and uh, give it to someone who needs it. It'll be anyone, just, yeah. just, just random, just give it to anyone because everyone needs it. Now, this particular episode of uh, Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is, Glenn A. Yes. Baker, part two. All right. What's he discussing today, Kev? I can't remember. Rolling Stones touring with them, being on. Uh, oh yes. Being in Cuba with Fidel Castro and maybe almost getting himself shot. Uh, and we'll also <laughs> talk to him about uh, that fabulous look that he's got with that little hat and why he wears that. Yes, he's got apparently he's got more than just one too. Yeah, yeah, he's got hundreds of them. I think he's got hundreds of those little hats. Yes, so we'll talk to uh, Glenn. Part two of that's coming up. Kevin Rowland from Dexy's Midnight Runners uh, got a new album out called "The Feminine Divine." Did he mention why he was so cruel to Eileen? No, but we talked about how he feels about those songs now, and I think you'll get a surprise about uh, where they sit in the uh, in the Kevin Rowland uh, history now. But uh, we talked a lot about the new album, which is really good, Re- really, really good. We're going to play a track off it. But, uh, yeah, he did talk about uh, the old days and how, how he feels about those songs now. Really well, interesting. Well, Come On, Eileen is, is a great song. It just... 
wouldn't want to be Eileen, but exactly. anyway. Uh, and Ian Moss is our final guest on the program. Mossy legend! Rivers Run Dry is the new album. It's the tour. He's touring now. He's in Melbourne this coming weekend, if you're listening to this in the first week of August. Uh, he's uh, he's touring all around this month and he's got more dates coming before the end of the year. So this, uh, this new album of his is a beauty and we're going to play a terrific song off it, which he co-wrote with Troy Casadaly, which is a bloody ripper. And he did a duet, which we'll, I think we'll get to in a couple of weeks, with um, our other mate, Kevin Borridge. Uh, yes, and he also did a duet on this album with uh, Casey Chambers. So, yeah, it's a really, really interesting uh, album that Mossy's done and it's been put together over a fairly long period of time, but we'll, we'll, uh, all that will be exposed in our interview with Mossy, which is coming up. But we start with the man in the hat, mm. the other man in the hat, not not the right. one that you re- always think of, but the, the man in the little fez rather than the hat. Uh- a man who's never pulled his pants down at an Elton John concert. Not that we're aware of anyway, Brian. Okay, well, we should have <laughs> asked him about that. But, yeah, the one question you won't hear us ask is about that. But we talk about a lot more, including nearly getting shot by Fidel Castro. So let's get to Glenn A. Baker. Uh, we've, all, we've all done that, nearly got shot by Fidel Castro. But anyway, let's check it out. Tell us about going on the road with the Rolling Stones. That's Got to be an interesting adventure. Well, again, that was I have to, have to, have to thank Paul Daney for that. Paul Daney decided that they were going to come to Australia, and he needed to get some promos and interviews, etc. And I was on Triple M at the time, so he packed me off with a with a photographer to go to Johannesburg to catch up with the Rolling Stones at Ellis Park Stadium, and uh, and that was pretty exciting. One great moment is. I'm backstage. I've done. I've done my interviews, and Keith sees me, and he's and he is a he was a soft, soft-hearted guy, and he comes over and he throws an arm around my shoulder. He says, "Mate, how are you? Are they taking good care of you? Is everything fine? Yeah. Can I do anything for you?" And all of a sudden, it flashed in, in my mind. Here am I, a baby boomer in good standing, and Keith Richards is inquiring about the state of my well-being. I thought it doesn't get much better than that. But anyway, there was one moment where one of the great things about being a journalist or someone who I guess it could have happened to any, anybody is you're able to, to tell people, well, you mentioned me correcting Roy Orbison, but I was able to actually inform Keith about some things that had puzzled him for a long time. I said to him, I said, the last time I saw the Rolling Stones was at Ramwick Racecourse in Sydney. And you were in a gold carriage and four white horses were pulling you along, along you know, the raceway. And he said, oh, is that what they were, man? And, and I thought, what, are you taking the piss out of me? He said, no, no. He said, on the flight over from Perth, he said, an Aussie bird dropped some really good smack on me. He said, I was really out of it. He said, but he said, I played well because I checked the tape the next day. He said, I was really playing well. He said, but all I can remember is some white blurry things. Are you telling me that they were horses or asses? Thank you, man. Thank you. And I thought, oh, wow. Of all the things I could have actually told Keith about, that was the most surprising. That was the most surprising. Wild horses and horses' asses, that's that's the Rolling Stones pretty much uh, encapsulated right there, Glenn. Very much. And in fact, when I was at, the, uh, at Muscle Shoals Studio, I actually sat on the toilet. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm being seriously by the room, the recording room, 
where Keith had gone to write the lyrics to Wild Horses. So there we are. Just well, That's one thing I like to do. Whenever anyone mentions anything, I can always find a connection to other things. Because rock and roll is a giant mosaic, you might say. Yeah. It really is. Everything connects to everything. Glenn, did you write the uh, old 55 hits on Keith Richards' toilet or was that written somewhere else? <laughs> No, I did not. I did not. I did not. That, that's a, a scurrilous accusation. <laughs> Can I just say, by the way, getting getting back to, to to where we are right now, that when I saw Brian and with a bunch of his comrades at a local RSL club in Sydney doing an 80s show, it was a wonderful performance and everyone was, oh. in, was in great form. And I must admit that most of my shows I go to, a 60s revival concert, I must admit, in keeping with probably the era I, I grew up in. But I think the time has definitely arrived for there to be 80s shows. And would I be right, um, Brian, in saying that that, that that tour and that combination of people has been very successful for you? Yeah, I've been playing in that band for about 15 years. So I've actually been in this band longer than I was in the X-Men, although I don't mm. think I've done as many gigs. But yeah, it's going very well, which is which is fantastic. Kip, now rock brain of the universe. I want to uh, take you back to another little uh, part of your uh, musical journey. You went to a songwriting uh, workshop with with some really big names, but held in a really most unusual place where you got to meet a very unlikely political figure. I did indeed. Well, the very well. How do we get at it without without blowing? No, 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 blow it. Go go right ahead from the start. Okay, okay, okay. It was in Havana, Cuba, and it was in – and I was I, – there's a wonderful photograph of me, and I'm on a boat, and it's, and it's owned by Bert Bacharach's best friend who, who ran the Timberland chain, and I'm sitting on, on, on this bench on the boat with Peter Buck of REM and Andy Summers of the police and Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac and Bert Bacharach. And so that was that was the most wonderful experience. But anyway, we all figured that we were going to meet. Well, Andy and I, Andy and I formed a real partnership on that on that trip, and we figured that we were going to actually meet Fidel before it was over. So after a final concert, and this final concert included people like Woody Harrelson, the actor, who figured for five minutes that he could actually write songs, <laughs> and um, and so it was it was at the Karl Marx Theatre. And then, then we were in a bus and taken up the hill to the presidential palace. And there we were allowed to walk in, in line to meet Fidel Castro. You can have any views you want on, on Fidel. And I probably wish now that I actually had a chance to ask him you know, about some of the more negative aspects of his career. But you don't at the time. But anyway, but Andy and I had been in the market that afternoon figuring that this was likely to happen. And we had bought a book of Fidel's speeches. And I don't know where, where Andy had his, but I had mine in my inside coat pocket. Now, we went through a metal, a metal detector, as one does when one's going to meet a guy who was the object of assassination attempts by the CIA, etc. and it didn't register. So anyway, so the Americans, I must say, were very respectful of, of Fidel. It was, yes, Mr. President, no, Mr. President, and they were a bit off. However, I took a very different approach. I bowled up and I said, Fidel, I'm Glenn from Australia. Nice to meet you. 
and, and what do you do, Glenn? I said, well, I'm a writer. And what do you write? Well, I write about music and travel and family and humour and all sorts, sorts of things. And he says, and have you written books? I said, have I written books? I've written about 15, but there was about 15 of them. He said, fantastic. He said, would you send me a book? I said, oh, mate, I'd be, I, I would be, be pleased. I said, oh, talking about which So I plunged my hand suddenly into my inside coat pocket. Now, can I say that again? I plunged my hand suddenly into my inside coat pocket. Oh, no. To get get this book. All of a sudden, his phalanx of guards around him with their AK-47s or Kalashnikov, whatever it is they had, lifted their weapons, aimed, clicked, pointed. I was about to be turned into a postage stamp. I was about to become perforated. There was no question about it. It would have been the absolute end of the rock brain of the universe. However, Fidel <laughs> realised what was happening and he, and he waved his guys and said, oh, no, it's okay, it's, it's okay. Anyway, I pulled out this book and he signed for me. Pull up, my boy, your friend, Fidel. And he signed it for me and he gave it to me. And then the next one to meet him was Andy Summers. So Andy Summers came up with his book and he said, well, you did it for my mate. Why can't you do it for me? He said, oh, of course, of course, of course. And he wrote an even more flowery inscription, you know, to Andy on on the on the on his book. But I remember going back down down the hill. We were in the bus, and we were all tingling. It had been quite. By the way, Bonnie Ray came up to us, and we thought she was going to steal our book because she she was very. Give me, give me, let me see, let me see. <laughs> if you assist, Bonnie, we we looked down, and there was that giant building that has bolted on the on the side in pieces of metal the outline of the face of Che Guevara. It's the most incredible building. Oh, yeah. And and I can remember looking at it and Andy, I'm saying, mate, we're never going to forget this as long as we live. And he says, no. I said, he said, this is really, really something absolutely special. So, yeah, so that's, that's actually what happened. That's a lovely I story. Was in, I was in, basically, it was 20 years after I'd gone to Moscow with John Farnham. And I was there with Peter Gabriel, David Byrne, Annie Lennox, Chrissy Hine, and a whole bunch of other rockers. And we were actually having photographs taken at Red Square. But it was very interesting because Peter Gabriel was dating Rosetta Arquette at the time. Now, she was the Rosanna that Toto wrote the hit yep. Rosanna about. Anyway, I had just seen the film The Big, the Big Blue before I left Australia. And all these rock stars, Farnham and Co. were all over by Red Square having their photo taken. And I just walked up to Rosanna Arquette and I said, you're Rosanna, aren't you? She said, yeah. I said, I'm Glennon. I love you. I threw my arms around her and gave her an enormous cuddle. And she was absolutely pleased. I mean, it was a cold, wintry, snowy day. But just at that moment, just at that moment, Peter Gabriel gazed over us and he saw this big, hairy, brutish Aussie guy cuddling his girlfriend. And I have to say that things were never the same between Gabriel and I after that moment. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough too. I don't blame him. Hey, uh, hey Glenn, I, I, uh, I saw a list that, uh, that you did for, uh, for Two Paddocks, which is uh, Sam Neill's uh, website and, uh, and social media platform, and I was amazed with two things. One, in your top ten songs, the top ten songs that you did for that list – and I've not seen you do a top ten anywhere else. There was not a Beatles song in the top ten, 
And the number one song was the man you talked about earlier, Bob Dylan. I don't want to be maudlin, but you talk about writing obituaries, but is that Bob Dylan song the one that you would like played to represent your musical journey? Yeah, I think so. Look, can I just say, to be really serious for a moment, it was, I was 13 years of age. Of course, like every 13-year-old kid, I lived and died by, by the radio, a little Japanese tranny, plastic tranny that I held in my ear. And all of a sudden, I hear a song called Like a Rolling Stone. And it was... It was like nothing I'd ever heard before. It was allegorical. It was, it was a stream of consciousness. It was just, it was, it, it was not moon, June, spoon. Yeah. It was just another yeah. complete, yeah, completely departure. And from that, from that moment on, I think Bob, Bob Dylan became my main man. I would always be my main man. And in fact, I've just, in fact, been, I just wrote a piece from my Facebook page talking about how as Bob enters what presumably is his almost his final day. I, like so many other Dylan fans, have going through my head, how am I going to feel when he's gone? What am I going to say when he's gone? How am I going to react when he's gone? Mm. And, it's, and it's too awful a thought to even to even contemplate. I mean, I'm being really serious here. Yeah. I mean, I'm a serious fan of Bob Dylan. Now, I know that there are people who say they see him live and he can be a horror. Yes, he can be a horror. There's no question that he can be a horror. But he can also be completely wonderful. He can also he, he can also take different paints and put them put them on the canvas of songs that we thought we thought we knew. And there's also the thing is when you're with Bob in a concert, sort of you know sort of where it is, whether it's the Mercury Lounge at the Casino in Melbourne, or whether it was yes you know, like a Centennial Park in Sydney, or whether it was anywhere else, you just figure where else would you rather be? You would just rather be with Bob Dylan, even if he was. You can't work out who's sort of who he has the most contempt for his songs or his audience. Some shows have been that horrid. Yes, yes, I I don't disagree, but there are moments that have just been so sublime, and you think, oh, God, I'm so lucky to be here. So, so yeah, so that's me. Oh, I don't know. Have you guys got a similar experience? Are there people that you feel the same, you know, the same way about? Oh, Keith Richards for me. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, he, a, I'm a Beatles baby, so I'm I'm a Beatles person, uh, and Brian's a Rolling Stones one. Fair enough. Yeah. No, I but, could I could understand, understand. But anyway, yeah. But like I said, we're all captives of our adolescence. There's no question about that, and we we will always be captives of our adolescence. You know, it, it's going to stay with us with us forever. And it's I mean, I mean, I simply adore Brian Wilson as a Beatles. Oh yeah. And I've had conversations with him backstage, and they've been very strange conversations. I mean, he, he really did you know, put his feet in the sandbox, and he dropped too much acid and all those other things. But he's also glorious. There are versions of God Only Knows. I mean, Paul McCartney says every time he hears God Only Knows, it brings him to tears. Yep. And I think the same the same thing thing with me. He really was the Chopin, the Tchaikovsky, the Beethoven. Of his yeah. era, there was no question about it. Hey, Glenn, I've got to ask you uh, one more thing. That's a not not a musical thing. Where did the hat? Where did the look with the hat come from? When did that start? And uh, you've you've done it for years now. But when did it start? Well, let me just say one thing. It had nothing to do with Molly. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't think so. Nothing to do whatsoever. I was doing a a travel book. My first my first travel travel book. I think it was Perpetual Motion, and they put me in a, in a hoist up in an engine on a, a Qantas plane 
and they took photographs of me up there. And I think I was I was wearing a hat there, and I, I looked. I thought rakish, rakish, in that in the hat. But when I started going out doing television interviews, I generally get things. Hey, bring the hat. You, know, you look good in the hat. So I just started wearing the hat, and then I started buying them all over the place. You know, I would collect hats in Bhutan. I would collect them in the Atacama Desert in Chile, and I would collect them in Korea, all sorts of places. Anyway, wherever, wherever I went. And I would also lose it. They had high attrition rates for my <laughs> hats. I can remember one I, when I had got stolen by a gypsy kid from a car in uh, Dublin. <laughs> And I thought, and I couldn't run fast enough to catch up with him. Uh, but then again, I thought, ah, what the hell? He would po- probably wear it rakishly more than I would. But I, yes, I've kept on wearing them. I'm in my seventies now. I don't really care. I can probably can take it or leave it. Yeah, good on you. Um, hey, thanks for having a chat with us, Glenn. It's been uh, it's been fun. It's yeah, always been fun. Right. When Brian told me at that gig, at that eighties gig, that. Um, you know, that he was doing a podcast. I said, well, mate, I must be honest. Any rock and roller doing a uh, a podcast has got to be worth, um, you know, worth being well, it, And by the way, we actually have a mutual friend, do we not, Brian? And uh, in Graham Innes, who was actually involved. Oh, yes. I think you, yes. you played on his, his first recording or something. So he asked to be remembered to you. And I asked to be remembered to him, and et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, yeah, so, so we have that. And he wouldn't have forgiven me. If I had passed up the opportunity to do a Brian Manic podcast. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine, threw the bumps of dime in your prime. Then you. Say beware, doll, you're bound to fall You thought they were all Kidding you You used to Laugh about Everybody that was Hanging out Now you don't Talk so loud Now you don't Seem so proud About having to be scrounging your next meal. So a bit of Bob Dylan because he went backstage and, you know, as he was frantically trying to get to Bob Dylan, he knocked Stevie Nicks on her ass and uh, that's but that's the way Glenn A. Baker rolls and it was good to have him on. And we might have him back because I reckon we only scratched the surface of some of the stories he could tell us. Well, I reckon anybody who's going to knock Stevie Nicks on her ass is <laughs> worth coming back, having back. Yeah, I believe Who, who knows? He might have knocked Marsha Hines on her ass or... Could have. You know, Madonna knocked her flying. Who knows? Yep, absolutely. Uh, he got three weeks. It was intentionally high contact. It was... <laughs> uh, never mind. Uh, now, our next it, guest... It, 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 it didn't appeal at the tribunal, <laughs> no, no? No, there wasn't one. Couldn't do it. Uh, there is no higher authority than Stevie Nicks. Everyone knows that. Uh, so he gave he gave Karen Knowles a hip and shoulder when she was doing Young Talent. Yeah. Not many people know about that. Yeah, no, yeah. back in his underage <laughs> days. Um, <laughs> you don't say that in rock and roll a lot, do you? Um, now, let us no. talk Let us talk about uh, Dexie's Midnight Runners. What a, what a string of hits they had. Uh, in that uh, early part of the 80s uh, with uh, Gino, 
with Jackie Wilson said, and of course with "Come On Eileen," uh, massive songs. Been they talking? were. Um, didn't really like their outfits, that overall thing, but um, it, it obviously worked for them. But it's not an outfit I'd wear on stage. Well, I talked to Kevin Rowland about the uh, the Dexys look and what they're going to do with this new album. The new album, incidentally, is called "The Feminine Divine." Uh, there's some songs that he's uh, dragged <laughs> back from uh, that uh, were sort of started to be written many years ago that have uh, come the full circle now. But really interesting album. We're going to play a song off the album called uh, "I'm Coming Home." Uh, but uh, I caught up with Kevin recently to talk about this new album and about the old days. The album's called The Feminine, D- the Feminine Divine, and here is... That's, inter- that's an interesting title, that, because as I remember, Divine was a man dressed up, and he's saying, "Think I'm a, you think you're a man. Remember that? Yes, I do remember. I met him, uh, Glenn his name was. Uh, and now, yeah. that's an interesting uh, uh, observation because this album takes you in very, very many places that uh, go down that track, and uh, Kevin will explain oh. some of that in this chat I had with him. So here we go. All right. Hello Kevin. there. Hello, Kevin. How are you going? How are you? I'm breathing. <laughs> I'm of a similar age to you. I'm a couple of years your junior, but not much. Not much, mate, not much. Not much when you get to this stage. Two years don't make a lot of difference. But I didn't fall off a motorbike mate. last year. How were you How were you after that? Um, I'm, I'm okay, but um, I've got this long COVID thing where sometimes I get really tired, that's all. The leg is pretty much there now. Has the, uh, I mean, I've talked about the voice on the album, but how's, how's the vocal cords and everything because you're about to hit the road uh, fairly soon? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm trying to build them up, you know, to get strong enough for the, to do it, so hopefully we'll be all right, you know. Yeah, let's talk about this new album. It it certainly you've done a few things differently to what I guess a lot of people would have expected you to do. Right. What do you think of it? I like it. Okay. I like. I like. Well, for a start, let me say uh, one of the things I love about it is that it takes me from point A to point B, and the story takes me through a gamut of emotions from obviously very personal emotions from you as the writer, but it takes me on a story and I love that about an album. That, that's right. such a lost art. Great. I'm so glad you said that because I'm so proud of that and I feel that's, you know, not overlooked, but, you know, sometimes people don't don't even know that, that, that I do in the interview that it's got a narrative to it. So I'm really glad you you get that. I'm the same, you know, rather than just a collection of songs, I love to hear an album that's got a story of some kind to it. So, yep. um, yeah. What I really liked, I love the way you finish it. Dance with me is like a like a crooning song at the end, which which is to me was just a lovely, uh, I guess, feel. And it just it was the right way to finish it. I was done, and and that was good. Yeah, it did feel right, and it's uh, lyrically, it's a conclusion. Mm. You know, it's a conclusion to the story, to the relationship, and um, where they're at when the when the album finishes. And, um, yeah, music, it did feel right, the right kind of mood just to finish it with. So it just worked. The album, um, a lot of it just came together, to be honest. You know what I mean? It wasn't that much struggle. It was quite, a lot of it was serendipity, for example. We we hadn't originally planned to make the album, to ha- make it have a narrative. It didn't at all. It just happened that way. Like the first song, The One That Loves You, where he starts off like in a macho position, you know, you're my girlfriend, and if anybody says anything to you, I'm going to beat the shit out of them, you know. (laughs) In the second song, he says, well, that's not really who I am. And then he starts evaluating himself. So that was never intended. You know, it just happened that that song was written 30 years ago. And that was my position at that point. 
that's what I that's the stance that I was telling myself I believe it was ball obviously but anyway at some point I just had a list of all the songs and I'm looking at them all and I just thought hang on a minute we put that song first that one second this tells a story and it wasn't intentional and I just thought great so I went with it you know the It's All Right, Kevin, the manhood song from 2023, as it's called on the album. Is that the song that yep. comes back? Is that a comeback song that you did in like 2003 or something? There was a song called Manhood that you did then? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it was just um, I always felt that it had more potential. We didn't fully realise it. And I just thought it fitted good with this and we changed a lot of the lyrics, pretty much all of them. And, um, yeah, just did, a, did an uptake on it. Well, it definitely yeah. sounds like a new lyric because it sounds like a new attitude and it sounds like a, an, an honesty that um, that a lot of a lot of us grapple with to put out in the public space. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, we just wrote from the heart and, um, you know, and did it, did recorded it as best as we could and hope people like it. That's really all you can do, you know. It is a little bit, um, you know, because you're putting yourself out there and then, you know, for people to judge or whatever. So it's, you know, it's a little bit daunting, but, you know, it's okay. It's, it's what we do. It's a little bit like a letter to yourself, the lyrics of that one. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is indeed. And I think it works pretty well with the backing voices. They're coming in with the answers and stuff. That's one of the real features of the album is the uh, is the vocal. The other people that do, that do vocals on this album are really it lifts it, lifts it completely across almost every, almost every song on the album has got that feature in it. Yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, it's great. It's great. You 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 get that. Yeah. Coming home. I I, lo- I love coming home. I know it's the single and all that, but I did see somewhere in an interview where you said that you think this is the most commercial thing you've probably done in forty years. I would say it probably is. Yeah, I would say it is. Yeah, it sounds good on the radio. I've heard it on the radio and it here, and it, and it sounds good. I think, but you know. We shall see. Yeah. Well, Coming Home sounds to me like a song that uh, that, that is going to sound terrific on the radio and would have sounded terrific on the radio 40 years ago. Okay. Okay. It's a, it's a timeless kind of song. Yeah. It, it, you know, look, you can't really take credit for these things because, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But that one, you know, this album really has worked, you know. So uh, we feel good about it. We're blessed, you know. Yeah. Now tell me about putting the the album together and because the writing process was a bit different to your usual for this, wasn't it? Well, when we decided we're going to do an album, the first thing I thought was, okay, what songs have we got? And, um, you know, Coming Home we wrote in a a different form some years ago. So we we knew that one was good and I thought, okay, can work with that and, you know, uh, the one that loves you, I'm going to get free. And then we worked with... With Mike, I said to Mike and Sean, well, I sort of started, started writing with Sean, but I said to Mike, have you got anything? And he went, yeah, but not nothing suitable for Dexys. I went, really? And I went, I want something funky and quite sexy. And he went, all right, I'll send you what I've got. And he sent me a couple of things. I went, yeah, they were. He sent me the riff from My Goddesses, uh, yeah, Dance With Me and Goddess Rules. He sent me he sent me a load of stuff. Yeah. And I picked those three, and then we worked on those together and um, – Turned them into songs, you know. Yeah. You challenged yourself vocally a lot on this album, didn't you? How do you mean? Well, in terms of you go to a lot of places vocally on this album. What do you mean, lower and higher? And- well, all, all of the above. The scales are up and down and all over the place, which as we get older, our voices change and there are things we could do 40 years ago with our voice that we can't do now. Well, 
But you kind of beg to differ. <laughs> yeah, on my submission, I think that's probably my best singing, really. Yeah. Um, you know, where I go really high, when I do the falsetto. Um, I mean, I've done a little bit of falsetto in the past, but it's always been something I've had. I've never really used it much. I don't really know why. Just the songs maybe didn't call for it, but um, or I just it just I didn't think to put it in. The interesting thing about that is I've got a singing coach. He's actually Australian called Kim Chandler, and um, been working with her for a long time. And how we normally work is she um, we do a demo of the song, and I put the vocal down a demo a rough you know, and then I t- I go to Kim for a session, I play her the song, and she points out. You know, okay, I think you can do that bit a bit better, and she'll and she'll give me a technique sometimes to see how I can hit that note stronger, or be more powerful on this bit, or softer on that bit, or whatever it is. And so I always do that, and I did it with a couple of songs on the album. She helped me, you know, and then I played her. I played her my submission. She listened. And she started crying. Oh, really? Yeah, she burst into tears. <laughs> and um yeah and um she just went that vocal's great she said everything i've taught you she you just what did she say um internalized it and you know and it's great and i said okay but which, which bits do we need to work on i'll do the vocal probably but no that's it that's the vocal that's it it's finished <laughs> so that was good i wrote that with sean it's a great song yeah it's a lovely song oh, bless you. thank you Thank you. I'm really happy with the way it came out. And once she said that, I thought, great, that's another vocal done. Don't have to worry about that one. <laughs> and I, we're going to change a few other things. And I just thought, and you know, when somebody cries to a song, that's about as good as you can get, you know. So I just thought, and there's a couple of people have said that. So uh, I just left it as it is, you know. Yeah, and the emotion that that you get when you sing is, and and there's a lot of emotions that you that you obviously clearly tapped into when you were writing this as well as when you were recording yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We tried to uh, – we used sometimes um, – I mean, but to me, they're just basic techniques, really, of, um, you know, whatever it took to get into the zone, whether it was a photograph of the person in the studio, in the vocal booth with me, whether it was an item of clothing that reminded me of that feeling or that person or whatever, you know, or who am I singing to, what am I trying to say to that person – What's the subtext? I mean, I, I quite quite get into all that stuff. What, for me, it's all about getting in the right mood. Once I'm in the right mood, I can sing, you know, but I've got to get in the right mood for each song, really. The the sounds of the album, I mean, it it, it, it sounds like a 2023 album. It doesn't sound like some people might, oh, Dexy's, oh, Kevin Rowland, here we go. It's, what's this going to it, – it's a 2023 album. Yeah. Yeah, we wanted it to sound contemporary. You know, it was just like um, – you know, when um, the guy who was doing some of the playing some of the stuff on Coming Home, I gave him the demo and I just said, look, you know, program up something to start with that we can use that as a basis. And he goes, okay, but what style do you want it in? And I just said, you know, I said, I just want it powerful and strong. And I don't mind if it's a bit electronic. He went, really? I said, yeah, we can put some of that in. So, yeah, I just, yeah, I, we've done the last two albums I was really happy with One Day I'm Gonna Soar and Dexys Do Irish and Country. But I didn't want to repeat them, you know. I just felt I really needed to do something fresh. And to me, these sounds these sounds sound fresh to me now, you know. And it's great. I think the songs have come alive. I think one or two of the band were even shocked. Sean was like, oh, sounds quite different, you know. And he said, it's 
sounds really commercial. I'm like, well, yeah, and that's not a bad thing, you know. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Now, when you take this on the road, you're going to do the album in its entirety from, from go to woe. Is that is that the plan I've seen somewhere? Yeah, 100%. We do the album from start to finish. And not only that, we we perform it dramatically. In other words, we act out the, the, the narrative. Um, Claudia Choprek is coming over from New York. She's going to be the female protagonist. That's a, and, that's uh, a big that's, role in this album. It really is. We've just that's why we took a long time to find the right person, and we're working with her, and we're talking to her, and we're looking at what she's going to wear, and and she comes over. We start doing shows in September, so that's the first half of the show. Then there's an intermission, and then we'll do the old stuff in the second half. Yeah. It's going to be really fun for you uh, the, doing the first half, uh, acting this album out. When you get to my goddesses and, and the goddess rules, that's going to be a that's going to be a highlight of the show. I would have thought. I hope so. I don't know. I'm a little bit nervous. You never know how it's going to turn out, you know. But hopefully, it's going to work. Could be. Uh, we could get uh, you know a bit of uh, fisty caps going on with the goddess rules. We could. We could. <laughs> we could. We could. Yeah. Even in the first song, uh, the one that loves you. Where it says someone comes up to you, he says, "I do." Uh, you can tell from the look in his eye that he's not just the friendly kind. Show that man to me, because he's offended me, and I would like to demonstrate to him Black Irish chivalry. So we're going to act that bit out as well. A little bit of drama between Sean's going to be the one that she's this kind of chatting to her, and then you know we're going to bit of a mock fight, you know, all that stuff. Should oh, be good. good. Oh, it'll be good. It, uh, it adds another dimension to it. And it also, that's what the album is. It's, it is that, yeah. you, it is that narrative as you, as you listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. It totally is. Yeah. When we tried to do a little bit of that stuff in the eighties, tried to, but it just was not possible, you know, but now it should be okay. The look of Dexys has always been an important thing. What, what sort of look are you, are you designing for, uh, for taking this on the road? Well, I'm just wearing what I'm going to be wearing in the publicity pictures. The idea this time was rather than have a uniform look that we're in a gang or we're all part of the same gang, which is what we've always done. Yeah. We decided this time everybody to have their own look. So you've got Jim in the publicity pictures like that with his fists. You've got Mike with his meditation look and his, you know, I'm shanty. And then you've got Sean looking a bit wacky. And there's me kind of dancing like that. So everybody's got their own thing going on and we'll transmit that onto the onto the shows, you know. Yeah. And then the second half of the show will be Come On Eileen and Gino and Jackie Wilson and all those all those songs that, that people know and love you for. Definitely the singles, the big singles, Come On Eileen, Gino, and some good album tracks and quite a lot from 2 Ray A because we were going to tour 2 Ray A last year, but because of my motorbike thing, my leg, we had to cancel those shows. So we're going to do about five, six songs, seven from 2 Ray A. So all the people who, you know, would have come and seen us last year, hopefully they'll come and, and they'll get quite a lot of 2 Ray A. Yeah. We were going to perform the whole album in full last year, but what we'll do is we'll just do some, some uh, just quite a lot from it, you know, to make up for that, hopefully. How do you feel about those songs these days? What, 2 Ray A? Well, the, no, the, the, the hit songs, the songs that everyone, if you mention, if you mention your name, mention Dexie's, the immediate uh, response is is Gino or it's Jackie Wilson said or it's Come On Eileen. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm grateful for them, but it was somebody else that recorded them, that did them and wrote them, co-wrote them. You know, it was somebody else. It's not me now. I'm a different person now, so I don't really identify with them. But we can find a way into them, you know, when we perform them live. 
that sort of fits us now without changing them too much, you know. So when did when did that kind of that Kevin Rowland finish and the new Kevin Rowland start? Oh, I don't know. I mean, like, like everybody, you know, we're always evolving, aren't we? Mm. We're always changing. Some people say you're a new person every day. I'm not sure about that, but I'm, a, I'm just a different person. I mean, I, I think I probably, I think it started, uh, you know, I had a, there's no secret, I had a, a bad cocaine problem for a few years. And when I got into recovery, the age of 40, um, I was forced to kind of look at my life really and, you know, not just the addiction, but the whole whole of it. And um, I think it started there really, yeah. Is writing these songs and addressing the person that you are now uh, a cathartic kind of thing for you or is it just a natural thing that happened? Um, it's both. It's a natural thing that happened. You know, the songs just came to me like I sat down one night and wrote Feminine Divine. The lyric just came out in one hit. Yeah. It's like, wow, that come from? And it's just like, and you can't fight that because that's inspiration. Do you know what I mean? When you get that, it's inspiration. So you don't mess with it. It's it's pure. And you just try and serve it. You know, you try and serve the inspiration. So we do that. And definitely doing the whole album was 100% cathartic. I felt really good about it. Now, putting it out there for the world to view and comment on, <laughs> it's quite daunting, really. It's quite daunting. But there's also a part of me that's kind of great. Let's get that out there. Let's get let's get all this information out there. And, you know, and I'm quite pleased about that, really. Uh, you're obviously very, very proud of, of what this work is in, in, in all the layers that it brings to the table. Oh, totally, totally, totally. I'm really happy with it. But, you know, things get misinterpreted very easily. Do you know what I mean? Especially in this day and age, you know, with social media and all of that. And then uh, something that's not true becomes a fact, you know, and you've had to, I've had to fight that in the past sometimes. But can't really fight it. You just got to go with it and let it take its course. But I, 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 you know, I'm generally, I'm generally pleased. It seems to be getting a good response. I mean, it's mainly the media who've heard it yep, and friends, you know, and I've heard good, I've had good responses from both, you know, so. Do you expect much backlash from the lyrical content of the, uh, of it and, and how much some of it is in your face in terms of your expressing your opinions about different things and, and the way that's changed? Like what on feminine divine stuff like that? Yeah, some some of the some of the things there. I'm I'm sure there'll be some keyboard warriors who'll have something to say about it. Well, one or two of them already have. You know, like um, you know, on social media, I saw at least one comment, probably a couple, where guys have gone, "Oh, I'm not into all this man hating, that kind of stuff." It's not man hating and. Uh, and then another, there's a publicity photo where I'm wearing a skirt, you know, a long skirt. People have crew people. Well, why is he wearing? Why is he wearing bloody dresses or things like that? You know, but what can you do, man? You know, you just gotta. You can't be influenced by stuff like that. You yeah. know, people like that. Are you? Uh, are you? Are you likely to bring it to Australia, or is that not a possibility? Or what do you think? You know what? Because we're doing this promotion round now. Uh, I've just mentioned it to the agent. I'd really like to. I'd really like to. I'm sure there would be people who would love to see this show if if the if this album is the first half and then uh, all the kind of the the great songs that uh, that people know you for from the radio is the second part of it. I think it'd be a show that would do really well here. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love that. Well, let's we'll try and make it happen. Yeah, that'd be great. Best of luck with this album. I hope I hope it's a bloody big success for you. 
Uh, bless you. Thanks very much, Kevin. I really appreciate it, man. It was good chatting. And I'm, you know, really glad that you like the album. No, it's really good. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Cheers, mate. I'm kicking out. I'm coming back again. I'm kicking out. I'm coming home. is uh, Dexies. The album is called The Feminine Divine and uh, Kevin Rowland was terrific to catch up with him and have a bit of a chat. I really do like the album. I really enjoyed listening to it. It was uh, it was really good. So uh, if you get a chance, have a listen. And they may, as he said in that interview, they may tour at some stage if they can uh, get it all together and they perform that album uh, in its entirety and then second half of the show is all the hits. Now. I think it's, I think it's interesting that... Um uh, Ian's never played with Mick Jagger and uh, Keith Richards. 
just chose to show that a rolling stone gathers no moss. Right. And we, I don't think we ask Mossy about that either. You've been working on that no. for weeks, haven't you? Hey? Hey? Oh, I spent <laughs> hours and hours last night <laughs> working it out. Now, Ian Moss is uh, is one of the great guitar players in this country. One, I reckon one of the most underrated singers in this country. Um, yep. He's, he's very good. He's got a new album out. It is called Rivers Run Dry. We're going to talk to him about that. He's got a tour, which is on at the moment, uh, all the capital cities in the next uh, week or so. And then uh, he's got even more dates and solo uh, ones coming up. Uh, before the end of the year, so well, you can check that out on uh, on his website. But let's talk to Mossy about uh, this new album, Rivers Run Dry. Okay. Yeah, Brian, how are you? Hey, g'day, Ian. How are you, mate? Good. Uh, uh, what part of the world are you in? In Annandale, in Sydney. So you're on the uh, on the uh, talk about me tour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. How's that going? The talk about me too. Are you enjoying that? Oh, uh, you know, it's uh, I don't know what I'm recording say, in you know, progress. I'm about me, what do you think about me? Yeah, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you, Kamal. Uh, so this this album, mate, you uh, with Brian and I were just talking. Uh, you recorded this in next to no time. Ten days. Um, it, well, we started, started recording. Uh, it was late late November after you know one or two already you know, COVID thing uh, stuff things around. But late November twenty one, we started recording. And, oh, okay. Yeah. So as usual, you, know, you get get all the beds down and uh, uh, pretty pretty quickly, really, over a week or so. And then, but then then you stuck with uh, overdubs there for for whenever you can get some spare time. I was listening to Rivers Run Dry. Wow, that's a it's a really interesting song. It's sort of gospel meets soul kind of. I would that be a fair description of it? Yeah, something like that with a little bit of slight bit of sort of uh, bluegrass in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably one uh, one of the first uh, first new song really to come. Yeah, the, the the album is quite a mixture of uh, ideas arranging some 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 go back a fair way and, and weren't quite finished. But the, this is one. Relatively brand new and was written uh, for a mate of mine from my hometown of Alice Springs. Uh, hence all the uh, dry rivers and red dust and all, all that kind of Im- imagery. A uh, mate of mine wasn't watching uh, the health uh, too closely and, and 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 suffered massively in a big way. It was something that's very largely avoidable as to the stroke just before the whole COVID thing hit. And uh, at the time... I started to commence writing. It was that that, that heavy a stroke. I wasn't sure if he was even going to pull through it. Wow. Oh, wow. He has, but... Well, that's good of. news. Where did the gospel kind of feel for the song come from? I don't know. Those that, that, that were just ideas for uh, just that came to my head, as, and you'll see that peppered a bit throughout the album with uh, you know, another another track, which is definitely up the gospel end of things, is uh, a co-write between myself and Don Walker, a song called What Can I Do, which has got, got the, big, uh, the big gospel choir on it. Um, it started off as a gentle one-man country song, but uh, it, it just, um, yeah, as, as you, you know, what it's like, you, you start building up the songs and, and the ideas come to you as you go. wasn't yeah. something I thought of before beforehand, but uh, there's, um, there's a few songs on that. I just, I just love my VVs and I love them to be uh, have that more of a gospel sound. Um, yeah. When you record, have you finished writing all the songs or do you, you've got pretty much written and you finish it in the studio or do you – have it all rehearsed and worked out before you go into the studio or do you come in with ideas and fix, fill them out in the studio? 
Uh, Recording-wise, I think it's pretty important to have, uh, uh, you know, these days you've got to watch your clock and the budget. I was fortunate enough to sort of top the coffers up with the uh, with Cold Chisel's Blood Moon Tour in the beginning of 20. So when COVID hit, it was, wasn't a problem to just hunker down. And uh, and in fact, I, I might not have even got on, might not even be sitting here talking about this album if that ha- happened. Because I'm talking about you, Brian. I, I always found, found that when you're touring, um, you're delivering songs, you're playing songs, you've probably recorded an album. And the last thing you want to do is, is, is finish a gig and go home and start writing. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. COVID killed the touring, so that's not. I just sat at home and got stuck into songwriting. Well, and Netflix, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> good balance there. So yeah, for most that's that's where. Uh, uh, and I've completely forgotten what the fucking question is. <laughs> 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 um, but no, no, your question was finishing. So so I've got I've got most of the songs. Written and yeah, they'd go back and forth. Quite whether co-writes would uh, you know be back and forth between you know, most of the co-writes would be me starting something and then reaching out for for help with lyrics or uh, a chorus or a middle eight. So you'd be you know you do that back and forth, send your MP3s, send your fucking Pro Tools yeah. files or whatever, and um, yeah, so everything pretty much was prepared. At least bottom line to get all the rhythm tracks down, yep. and you had all the arrangements there. And the, before going to the studio, I wouldn't, I'd be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be game to to do otherwise. Yeah, what, fair enough. What about the co-producing role, Mossy? What did that involve? Uh, it, it involves, uh, you know, it's just an interesting story in that I had someone lined up, and then a week beforehand they um, decided they didn't like the songs, <laughs> oh, and. Well. Uh, Got stuck into finding a whole bunch of others, which I hated. I said, I think uh, this is really unfortunate timing. It would have been nice if we could have said something uh, ages ago. Um, I, but that was fine. I just said, fuck, I went, went to the rest of the band and and particularly remember Clayton Dolly and said, when I told him, he said, oh, do we need him? And I thought, fuck, well, if you got that attitude, that, that's, that's fantastic. We'll, we'll just get in it. So we started, when we knew we had the songs. Just went in there and started recording. Brent Clark was an engineer, was there just to be engineer, but he was just brilliant as a as, as a producer. So so I ended up being producer, but it was, it was but it was a co-production with uh, Brent support. I don't know how it would have gone. It was, it was totally on, on my own. It would have been, a, been quite a challenge. But um, that yeah, that's that's how I ended up being playing a role of producer or co-producer. Yeah, you still get in that. It's such fantastic guitar sounds. You know, I, I particularly like this sound. I think it's an acoustic on uh, Rivers Run Dry. But the other one, uh, Nullarbor Plane. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a great guitar sound. What sort of amp and stuff are you using to, to make that sound? In 1978, I bought a, um, one is a Laurie Treadrace music store in Adelaide um, <laughs> and bought myself a, a 100 watt Super League Marshall. Um, and it's just that same amp, which has got to go around. Round the round the clock a few times with modifications, you know, thinking you're making it better and making it better, and you get finally you get take it to a tech and says, "This is this amp started here, it's around here. Do you want to put it back in the back there and where it began and see see what you think?" So you put it back. You go, oh, fucking, why do I ever change it? Um, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's a sad and just really sad. Really, pretty much all Marshall and and whatever whatever choice of got to be fucking. Millions of, of overdrive pedals out there these days, and they're all yeah. vary that much in sound. So it's, it's mainly it's mainly <laughs> just turning turning the amp up and and 
the rest could be theoretically just in the fingers. It's a great sound. It's um, you know, it's just a trademark sound of yours. I think you know. I was listening to Nullarbor Plain. I go, oh yeah, there, there he goes. That's that's the sound we know. And great to have a song with the three fifty one in it. I thought <laughs> I, I haven't heard of three fifty one since back in the seventies when all my mates were hotting up cars and that. And I thought, yeah, and it it's a really cool song in that rhythmically. I think it sounds kind of like you are driving in a car across the desert. It's sort of got a a, a rhythm yeah. to it that's like a car driving and um, obviously a great song to do a bit of travelling in your car with. Um, yeah, it's a beauty. And the main theme of the storyline uh, really came from the fabulous Troy Casadaly with his brilliant lyrics um, and he's a car nut from way back. What what better combination, heartbreak and a muscle car you know, to, for, for a, to base <laughs> well, the storyline story on? You can't, can't go wrong. <laughs> well, I kind of like the fact that, you know, he's driving through the desert, he's, you know, he's doing the travelling, you know, and okay, he's, he's off and he's travelling. But then right near the end, I kind of find out why he's travelling because there's a girl there, someone he's got to go and see. And um, I thought that was really cute. I thought it was great because it, it left part of the story to be told towards the end rather than a lot of songs just say everything in the first verse and then there's no development of the story. And I thought um, the development of the story in uh, Nullarbor Plains was, was really good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that uh, that whole sort of up screaming, screaming the heart out with the uh, I can see her face in the dashboard light, and I'm holding mm. on to the only thing that keeps me sane. Uh, yeah, fantastic stuff there from uh, Troy Casadale. Well, you've done well, period. That's really good. So, do we get really Chris, Chris Hemsworth to play the uh, the male lead in the movie version of it, Mossy? <laughs> yeah, I could, yeah, I can see Chris doing that sort of uh, yeah, sort of getting out sort of. Punching a few kangaroos' heads in. Absolutely. No shirt on. <laughs> it's a perfect role for yeah. him. Perfect yeah. role for him. Hey, some of the other stuff on the album, uh, which we haven't heard yet, but looking forward to hearing it. You've got your son. Do you do it with your son on one of the tracks? Yeah, that's a Stevie Wonder song. Um, you know, first, uh, I mean, Cold Chisel were you know, the hard rock band, essentially, and you know, Led Zeppelin and Hendrix and all that were kind of uh, strong influences, but there were also lots of influences, other influences and lots of stuff we used to listen to at the time. Back then, the talking book had just, uh, we hadn't been together that long, or I can't remember if we started about this one. Anyway, it was, it was pretty early days, and that, that uh, talking book album, Stevie Wonder's talking book album, never came off the turntable or, or out, out of the A-track, <laughs> out, of, out of the uh, show. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, that, just that song, I fell in love with that song and uh, remember the time John Swan was uh, with Chisel for a little while and we, we were going, I'm going to record that before you do. No, I will before you. You know, Finally, um, uh, I finally got to do a version of that, but to blame it on the sun. Uh, I finally figured out how to work out all the chords. <laughs> <laughs> I had no chance way back then. Um, and do a version with my with my uh, my 19-year-old son. So what's his, what's his musical background apart from obviously hanging around you a lot? Um, yeah, all, all sorts of stuff. Everything he does has definitely got a, a soul, funk, R&B kind of thing going on with it. Um, um, bluesy, bluesy soul kind of stuff. He's, uh, he's writing up a storm. For years, I think there was, uh, I had a guitar in every room of the house, mainly to sort of, you know, trying to sort of, we might be sitting on the couch with him and there's a guitar on the other side of him and I'd be sort of like, you know, Nudge, shuffle, like, <laughs> pushing towards a guitar for years, and he wouldn't—he he wasn't interested. And then he gets a big, big rock and distorted. Uh, he can do all that 
sound, but it's not really, uh, there's never really a, uh, you know, Zeppelin or Cream or Hendrix Freak like uh, like we were when we, we first started. Mm. So you're going to tour the album. Um, yeah. Will you take your son on the road and will you use the guys that played on the record on the tour or will you just get yeah. other players? A bit of both. Um, uh-huh. def- definitely the guys on the record. Yeah, Ollie Thorpe on uh, on the other guitar. Uh, Kerry Jacobson, original yeah. Dragon drummer on, on drums, and Zoe Halpman on bass. Uh, couldn't get Clayton Dolly on uh, on keyboard, so I got a, a wonderful young player called Freya Garbett and uh, Juanita Tippins on BV. So it's a nice, nice big full sound. Yeah, great, yeah. fantastic. Kerry Jacobson must be one hundred and ten. <laughs> Surely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember him from Dragon. Goodness gracious me! Yeah, no, well, Gary's um, yeah, it's just some hard years, but he's he's really fit and fighting fit and doing really well. Gary's sixty nine. Yeah, no, he's a good drummer. He's really good drummer. Great yeah. drummer. The duet with Casey Chambers on this as well. Tell us about that song. Um, yeah, that's all. Well, the song was written. I went went back to Nashville for a second time to do a spot of writing back in two thousand nineteen. Uh, my last album was all most of it was written in Nashville, and ended up with an Australian couple called Jay and Mark O'Shea. Yeah, that's uh, kind of slightly morbid story about hanging hanging from a sycamore tree or bearing very very. Well, it's called bury me. Bury me. It's hardly the you know the life of the party track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not wrong. Um, it, it was it was destined to be a duet. Yeah, it does have a country or bluegrass kind of thing to it. So. Um, Casey was the, the obvious choice. I'm yeah, stoked that she uh, that she dug the song and, and joined me on the track. Yeah. She's got an yeah, amazing got voice. A, I love her singing. Yeah, she's, she's got a distinctive voice, has she? Yeah. Yeah, she's great. Because I know Brian's always wanted uh, – Brian always talks about he'd love 50 years to be recorded by Casey Chambers as the, <laughs> yeah. the, the perfect person to record that song. Can I ask you about you, the singer, because uh, there are lots talked about and written about, you know, guitar icon and all that stuff, but how do you rate yourself as a singer? Because it's always struck me that you've been a reluctant singer over the years. Yeah, I, I, I mean, sometimes, you know, I – Enjoy singing at the time when I hear it back. You know, sometimes I like it, sometimes I go, oh, I <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and, uh, and I guess, you know, in those early days, it was always seemed to be about if, you know, if you, if you couldn't hit notes like Robert Plant, uh, then, you know, you, you weren't a singer. You know, it was all about the range and, and how hard and how high you could get. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, like in, in singing, we get all, if I only had, one or two more semitones up top, I'd be happy. But if you had that, then you'd be, oh, you know, you probably never would be happy. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the range and the tone I've got. And I think I've developed over the years as as a, as a singer. It's, it's not all about the having the range and, and the power. It's a need to be able to evoke and 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 emote. And I think that's a it's another you know, it's a separate skill in itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got to tell the story yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, some of, some of my favourite vocals of all time are um, stuff where the singer loses the note, but he's so emotionally involved that, like, I think Michael Jackson at the end of "She's Out of My Life," he starts crying, and it's not very tuneful, but God, it moves me. And um, so, I, yeah, I'm big on yeah. the um, the storytelling of songs. I think it's um, important, and you know, your voice is just. Amazing, you know, you've you've got the range and the subtleties, and it's just all there. So, you know, well done to you. No, no, too kind, mate. Thank you very much. And you still got the power too. Nullable planes proves that you got the power. Jesus, yeah, 
it's 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 still in there. It's still you know, Bow River is still my favourite Chisel song. I've uh, unashamedly say that. Okay. <laughs> uh, unashamedly say that. Yeah. Mate, uh, on the road, obviously, with uh, doing acoustic and, and uh, the full band thing and uh, and the album's out, obviously, a nervous yet exciting time for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, so far, uh, been good, plenty of support, plenty of uh, good good feedback. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, yeah, very happy, very confident. So whatever it does, uh, it'll do what it does. And just looking forward to, well, mainly, yeah, looking forward to that, uh, you know, it's, we, we all got to keep doing what we do, and if you're enjoying what you're doing, it's not a job. Uh, mm. That old that old cliche. Let's uh, be honest. You're looking forward to finishing uh, all this promo crap and actually playing. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, love your work, mate. Keep it going, and uh, and thanks so much for spending some time with us. Uh, we uh, bloody love it. It's fantastic. Thanks, yeah, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Good as gold. No Thanks, problem. Take care, mate. Thanks a lot. Cheers. See you. Bye. Uh, that, that, that's Mossy. Now we're going to play the track that we talked about in that interview, Nullarbor Plain, uh, the one that uh, Troy Cassidale and he wrote. It's a good little chug along, knock them down, rock and roll yeah. song. Oh, song. Look. Yeah, Virgin got about a fleet of Nullarbor Plains, I think, and uh, – they're very reliable aircraft, so well done, Mossy. All right, we'll uh, get to uh, Mossy's song in just a tick, but a reminder about uh, Murcotts, our terrific uh, podcast partners. We want to thank them for uh, for being involved once again and uh, their continued involvement. And all you have to do uh, to be involved with Murcotts, and it's a very smart thing to do, is just pick up the phone. And dial one three hundred triple five five seven six. Easy. Easy as. Yes. Let your fingers do the walking and the next thing you'll be driving better. You will be driving much better. Mercots.edu.au is the website. Uh, terrific to have Glenn A. Baker, Kevin Rowland and Ian Moss on this show. But coming up on Life of Brian, <gasps> dot, 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 Manix, that is, TMG. Right. Les Hall and Steve Mullery are going to join us and uh, have a chat. Colin Peterson, the original drummer with the Bee Gees, who was an actor and uh, has got some great stories to tell about his days with the Bee Gees. He's going to be joining us. Yes, I think he's coming to the Go Set Club to uh, have a little chat with us at the next meeting. Oh, good. Fantastic. Yeah. Leslie Kanawa, so, yeah. who was the singer in uh, in uh, Promises, who had that massive hit, Baby A Tube. I caught up with her Hang recently. She had Promises. Mm, she she had, had that massive, massive what? She had a, the massive hit with Baby It's You. Oh, yes. Sorry, yes we talk hit. about, okay. no, we talk about the thing that you're alluding to is the size of the lady's chest area. And we talk about that in the interview that I had with her. That comes <laughs> up. In my countdown play, we had a couple of actors playing the, the, the team from Promises. And um, naturally, she had to be kind of well endowed. So I had these breasts made for the actress, and towards the end of the song, they lit up. There were lights in them, so it was a good little trick, I thought. Okay. Anyway, that's uh, it's being stupid. A, a prop that is currently part of the uh, menagerie at, uh, at the <laughs> penthouse, but never mind, we'll move on. Uh, and Kevin Borich, looking forward to this one uh, because we had a great chat with, uh, with Kevin, and uh, we'll talk about his new album, which is a bloody ripper. It's a duets album. Yeah, it's got everybody on it, everybody yep. that's worth having. Oh, except me, um, is on it. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll deal with that. So that's all coming up on uh, Life of Brian. Dot dot dot. Manix. That is. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Take care, Brian. Uh, and uh, I'm yeah, I'm off to see the Barbie movie. Kev. Kev.
What? I'm off to see the Barbie movie, I think. Well, we look forward to reviewing the Barbie movie in the next episode as well as all the other good things we talked about. All right, then. No all right. worries. I'll see be- you, Brian. All right. See you, Kev. 